All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Every Day is a New Day show. My name is Kim O'Neill. And once again, I'm so excited to be here with you and with today's guest and this very powerful, I think, beautiful conversation we're about to have. So let me just give you a heads up what we're going to be talking about today. Today we are talking about empowering youth and overcoming hopelessness. Empowering youth and overcoming hopelessness. Hmm, I love that. Before we go further, though, let's take a moment to bring our energy into the present moment by shaking off yesterday. Shake it off. Shake it off. Whatever's been weighing on you, on your on your mind, your heart, in your, your space, your energy field, your field, your environment. Whew, we can take a moment to literally move our body, make that new decision, shifting our energy, our, our thoughts, our focus, make an set an intention to shift away from what was, bring your power into the present moment. It's a beautiful gift you give yourself that you also then give everyone that you are present with in that moment. Take a deep breath in. Let's move on to sharing a quote that also speaks to today's topic. This quote comes from Mahatma Gandhi. The true measure of any society can be found in how it treats its most vulnerable members. The true measure of any society can be found in how it treats its most vulnerable members. How do you relate to that? What comes up for you when you hear that, when you think about that? Those who are vulnerable, how we treat each other. Hmm. Okay, let me share with you a little bit about today's guest, and then we're going to bring him up on screen. Today, I am speaking with Tom Murphy. Tom Murphy has dedicated his life to combating hopelessness. He is the co-founder of Sweethearts and Heroes, a game-changing organization seeking to bring awareness to the fear and anxiety many of our youth experience on a daily basis and challenges everyone to move from a bystander into a more empowered role as a sweetheart or hero. Those who give hope to the hopeless and jump into action when no one else does. Through his organization, Tom helps kids who are wrestling with self-destructive decisions and helps them to gain the meaning and acceptance they need from others around them, promoting a positive culture in schools and communities and preventing things like bullying and mistreating those we perceive as different from ourselves. To date, Tom has reached over 2 million students, teachers, and parents across the United States and Canada through Sweet Sweethearts and Heroes, powerful presentations, workshops, training programs, and books. And with that, I welcome Tom Murphy to the show. Welcome, Tom. Hi, Kim. Hi. Thanks for, thanks for letting me be here. The opportunity. I am, I feel honored to be able to have you on this show with the work that you are doing uh, within, you know, I, I recently made a comment about a lot of the guests I've been having on the show lately. I feel like um, there's some really powerful grassroots level work being done. And I feel like you are part of that. And you've, I mean, 2 million people, that's a lot of people, but you're really getting in on the ground level, being able to connect with kids and of course their parents and teachers and all that, but the kids at that early age to really um, help teach them about this, this, you know, your topic of sweethearts and heroes. And I think it's, it's really beautiful. So thank Thanks. you. It's been uh, it 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 it's a been a happy little accident, as the great Bob Ross would say. It was not intended to happen, um, but um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite a ride. So 
let's use that as a beautiful segue to move into how did you get into this work? Well, can we jump back for a second? Because I've often used that Mahatma Gandhi quote many times. Um, I think it's you a, have. Oh, that's right. I think I got yeah, it from your website. Yeah. Well, you 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 grabbed did it, I? and I, I I didn't know if it was just coincidence or if the universe uh, deemed that you would use that quote. But um, you know, I talk a lot, and we can certainly get into this later because we say there's two great reasons why young people don't jump into action, mm-hmm. and one of them you know, when we get into this superhero side of what makes someone a superhero, you know, one of the great characteristics of a hero is that they jump into action. If you say that in front of uh, elementary school students, middle school students, they'll finish that sentence for you. You say that to adults and they're like, jump into the air because they just kind of forgot how to play. You know, it's a it's a marker of becoming an adult is your play window gets nailed shut, screwed shut, never to be opened again. And yeah. um, they play science junkie and it's been a lot of time in that area. But we say there's two reasons that young people don't jump into action. And, you know, the number one reason is that they feel silly or ridiculous. And I say, well, you don't realize that's why superheroes wear tights like they don't have to wear tights to run into public, but they do. Because they're going to look silly helping someone that can't help themselves. And uh, so the word really is vulnerability. And, you know, when you talk about most vulnerable members of society, you just kind of triggered in my brain this notion of what vulnerability is. And when I say to you, Kim, making yourself vulnerable makes you feel what? Oh, uh, first word. Just don't don't stop yourself. First yeah. Word. Scared. Scared. What else makes you feel um, un, unsafe, uneasy, unsafe, uneasy, you know, things that that that, you know, are kind of synonyms for this thing called weakness. You yes. Know, most right, right. people, a lot of people say making myself vulnerable makes me feel weak. And I say, well, that's why Superman ripped that shirt open, because by definition, vulnerability is opening up yourself to attack socially, psychologically, emotionally, physically. And that's what Gandhi was talking about, that these children are the ones that are easiest to attack. However, the secret is vulnerability. Because if you had a little daughter and she was seven or eight and she said, mommy, I want to do the talent show. And you pick out a song and the night of the talent show comes and, you know, the auditorium is packed with people and you know, your heart's pounding and she's oblivious. She's got this little sheet of paper and she races up on that stage. We'd all say she's making herself vulnerable. And, um, you know, people might laugh at her. She might forget her lines. But are you telling me that that little girl is weak? And none of us would, no, 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 no. She's, she's strong. And that's right, because vulnerability, superheroes live in the world of vulnerability. That's why they don't have a lot of friends. And so it's a really good thing to talk about with young people and young people, little kids have just such a wonderful opportunity because they live in this world of wonder. And unfortunately, wonder has been annihilated in children today um, Mm -hmm. because self-directed, self-controlled play is like done a nosedive. And, you know, that creativity and imagination is what helps young people through difficult times. The great play scientist Stuart Brown says play is nature's greatest means for reconciling cognitive difficulties. And uh, unfortunately, we've stripped kids of that vulnerability and that that wonder and that ability to grow and build that stress response system around the things that they learn and do and play. 
I'm a little off track right now, and I'm probably like at the end of our conversation. But when you when you you triggered me with this quote, and it's just a, a wonderful thing to talk about um, how wonderful young people are. I think I learn more from young people than. I think it was Chesterton that said, I've learned more in a nursery than all my years of philosophy combined. And I feel like those vulnerable kids in our society, I feel like that's at this point in my life where I've learned everything is from mm. young people. So you probably want to know the story. I Well, I do. I do. But I first just want to say what I hear, and this, this might sound like it's going really deep, but that's how all these conversations that's go. Right. And I love it. Um, so many adults we have to at some point look back at our inner child mm. and do some healing, releasing, whatever it may be. What I'm hearing through the type of work you're doing is you're, I feel like, I feel like you may potentially be, you're strengthening kids in an early age where right. I don't know, maybe they won't even have to ever do that. Maybe, you know, their, their inner child will have already been able to be bolstered and empowered and strong and move through whatever life takes them through. And they just continue to be, this strong, empowered, knowing that it's okay to be vulnerable as they move through life. I mean, like what a different world that might be if you had a bunch yeah. of adults that didn't always have to delve back into their inner child. So that's what came to mind. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you're nailing kind of the end of this whole conversation first, and maybe this is good. Maybe this is good to work in reverse. You know, when, you know, we have a whole curriculum called Braves, B-R-A-V-E-S. It's an acronym, but okay. the reality is you know, Socrates said that courage was the greatest of all the virtues mm -hmm. because that's what you want for a child. If you're a parent, the only thing you want is for your little girl, your little boy, your little person to go out into the world and be able to order a slice of pizza by themselves, be able right. to order a soda as they get older, be able to stick up for themselves, mm -hmm. be able to stick up for other people. But courage and bravery is a skill that needs to be taught. And, you know, when I asked you who your favorite superhero was before we started this call, you said Wonder Woman. So all mm -hmm. your guests now can refer to you as Wonder Woman. But, you know, people don't understand that that's one of the most important questions on planet Earth. It's probably one of the oldest questions ever asked. And you're like, what question? Who's mm -hmm. your favorite superhero? Okay. And you're like, well, that's kind of silly. No, what happens is you think about yourself as a child or your own kids and you think about them dressing up in those silly costumes and going outside and fighting trees and jumping off of picnic tables. But what were they really doing? They were practicing being brave. Oh, I and love that. it's a, it's something it's human beings have always looked up to heroes for their virtues and you get courage and bravery from your heroes. I mean, it's one of the great archetypes that Carl Jung talked about was the hero archetype. Um, but as you get older, you take those costumes and, and, and the bed sheets and you put them away. And then you start looking up to real heroes. You know, people like my friend Rick, people like mm. Wayne, people like, mm. you know, the neighbor down the street that is a self-made guy that, you know, and so you learn your dedication, your commitment, your courage, your everything from the heroes in your life. And you replicate or model those behaviors and you work towards them. So, Kim, outside of Wonder Woman, who's one of your real life heroes that you wouldn't be who you are today without? Ooh, um, 
there's more than one, but I, I always go back to this one lady I used to work with. She's no longer alive, but her name was Sandra. What was she her was, superpower? Uh, oh gosh. Her superpower was um, this combination of her wisdom and her, uh, I, I do want to say this, this element of uh, courage that was like her standing in her power. And I don't know if I just said creativity, I'm going to say creativity, creativity and standing in her power and wisdom that she just, she just had all of it and it was beautiful. And she was a, beautiful, bright light huh. for all of us. Wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> Thank you. you. Know, when, when, when you think, you know, I told you there's two reasons that young people don't jump into action, but yeah. number two is you ready for this? And it's a little yeah. bit, it, it can hurt educators feelings when I say this out loud or even parents, I say, well, we've never really taught them what to do. Right. Right. And a lot of people will say, well, I tell my kids to stick up for kids that are different all the time. I say, oh, really? And I say to parents and teachers, I say, you should try that with math sometime. And they're like, what do you mean? Oh, just explain the math problem one time and say, good luck. I'll see you at the test. That sounds ridiculous. Right. You know, so these skills, these other human skills need to be practiced like every other great skill, not just in education, but in life. And we can't expect young people, there's no harder math equation than going into a cafeteria and sitting with a brand new to the kid to the school that stinks. That's a tough thing to do. You know how much courage that takes? You can have the courage, but if you've never practiced those skills, how do you expect them to be able to do it? So one of the things that's, I don't want to say made us famous because we're certainly not famous, but the one thing, the reason we had to turn away over a hundred schools this year is because wow. people hear about what we do. They see this magic of sweethearts and heroes and, and they want us to come in to give these strategies to put them into place so that their kids can practice these real skills. And I'll give you one example and then you can jump in here. Mm -hmm. If I were to say to you, Kim, what do you do when you catch on fire? What do you say? Stop, drop and roll. <laughs> Have you ever met a single human that's ever used that? You mean actually done that? Have you ever met a single human that's ever used that skill? Um, no. Exactly. So we teach 50 million public school students what to do when they never catch on fire. Now, I'm not making fun of fire safety, but right. pay very close attention here. We have a generation of young people that feel like they're on fire on the inside, socially, psychologically, emotionally. When I walk up to any kid in North America and I say, what do you do when you see someone being treated the wrong way? They say, uh, tell a teacher, which they're probably not going to do because that breaks pack code. Right. You're not supposed to do that. So what we do from a kindergarten level to a 12th grade level, we have invented certain things and skills that we put into place. And with mm -hmm. little kids, I call it the stop, drop and roll of bullying. Because stop, drop, and roll works. You know why? Here's the formula. It's simple, mm -hmm. it's action-based, and it's life-saving. And the skills that we bring to the table that we have kids practice are simple, action-based, and life-saving. And they're what superheroes do. And you know where I got them from? Hmm. The superhero movies. And what kid doesn't like to watch them? Right. 
Tom, you're making so much sense. Uh, it makes so much sense that, you know, it's, it's, it sounds so simple. And I, yeah, I tell people all the time, don't bully another kid or, or you step, you know, stand up for someone or whatever. But what does it mean? What does it look like to actually do that? And if there's already so much fear and anxiety around uh, breaking, like you said, pack code, right? Being the oddball, no one else is going to do it. So, oh, why should I do it? Right. Um, then, you can know what to do and yet still be held back by your own fear and anxiety that you are going to look like the weird oddball doing something different from everyone else. So I love that you're showing kids, yep. allowing them to practice it and empowering them all to, I want to say, do better. That's what yeah. To become uh, sweethearts and heroes. Okay. So, okay. So, um, what do you want to answer first? Because I want to hear why you call them. I know why you call them heroes. Why do you call them yeah. sweethearts? That's oh, that's a, that's a good one right there. Okay, you won't believe one. you won't believe this. So this is a hundred percent true. Um, I'm driving home. I was just at a school all day today. Driving home, I get a call from a parent. I'm going to be in Rutland, Vermont, um, next uh, Thursday, Friday. Okay. I get three calls from a phone and I don't, it doesn't leave me a message. And I'm like, I better call this back. And I call back and it's his father, this 55 year old man that his daughter is in the school I'm going to be at. And parents will start reading about what we do. And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten calls from people. I want to talk about this sweethearts and heroes is, is the sweetheart, the girl part and the heroes, the you know, it's a lot of women will do this to me. It's wow. the sweetheart, the girl part and the hero, the boy part, because, you know, we're not into this gender thing. Right. You know? And I say, no, 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 no. You misunderstood. <clears throat> For years, I've been getting that. And people don't get the name. Okay. And I, I so many people have said, Tom, you got to change it. And I've heard for over a decade, I go to a school and they're they're like, um, you're from uh, hearts and uh, superheroes. I'm like, no, no, sweethearts and heroes. But after I tell you this, Kim, you'll never forget it. Okay. So um, it's really weird, this conversation, because I'm going in a reverse direction from what I normally do. Usually it's like, how did this start? What are sweethearts? What are heroes? Um, well, well uh, I, I will say thank you for yeah. the flow. And this is sometimes a pattern in my life, doing things kind of backwards. So thanks for going with it. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> I think it's fun. It's fun. Like sometimes you get tired of telling the same story and you probably will tell it a little differently when you go in reverse. Yeah. So when I got, I started talking to young people about 15 years ago, I did a crazy reality TV show and you know, that my sister um, applied me for, I never okay. even watched the first season. So I didn't know anything about it. And I get on it. I'm one of eight guys from around the world to get on this show. Anyway, <clears throat> it's uh, has to do with sports uh, a okay. little embarrassing. I don't, you know, I use it for my middle and high school. It's a huge hook, right? I okay. got them all. But anyway, um, a lot of people would call me. Hey, can you come talk to my kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baseball, hockey. I've worked with a very good sports psychologist for years. So I've always been great at picking up lessons from the bit. I spent 17 years in the railroad industry, worked for a guy that took a company from a half a billion to two billion and I don't say that to flex. I say that because I've got some great lessons yeah, and I've always been, I've learned a couple businesses myself. And so I've been able to take a lot of my failures and my sports lessons, my business lessons, uh, my schooling, which I was a horrible student until 
someone taught me that life was not a talent contest. It was a strategy game. If I could mm-hmm. take all my strategies from the sport of wrestling and apply them to academics. And I did. I trusted him. And it just changed my life forever in the world of education. It's That's a long so story. But I found myself talking to young people, leadership, motivation, goal setting kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, a buddy of mine that I wrestled with in college called me kind of in a panic and said, oh, Tom, Tom, um, this is going to answer the sweetheart question for you. He said, I need you to do something on bullying. And I'm like, okay. And I can run around and act silly in front of kids. And uh, so I just started because I'm a bit of an information hound. I I like to research stuff. And uh, so I'm like, well, I better start with this word, this blustering, quarrelsome, overbearing person who habitually, intentionally badges small, weaker people. That's what a bully is. And so that's where I started. And there's a lot in that definition we can talk about because a lot of parents like to talk about bullying. And I don't want to leave that conversation about that guy that called me. But when you ask that question, an hour ago, I was driving home and this father called me and that's what he wanted to talk about. I didn't want to leave you hanging. Sometimes I jump tracks and you're like, wait a minute. He was talking about one thing and now he's talking about something else. It's okay. But that's what he wanted to talk about. So it's like so like crazy that you asked me about this word. So I start my investigation. I'm learning about bullying as much as I can, consuming the data, consuming the statistics. Um, But what I find is that in the 16th century, about 40 years after Columbus sales, the word bully was invented. And when it was invented, it meant what we know it to me. Oh, everything you, I can't read. Oh, it meant, it meant, Sweetheart. What? Yeah, what? You're like, no way. <laughs> but the word bully meant sweetheart. It was a very endearing term. It, you're going to look it up now. You're like, I don't believe yeah. this. But it was a very endearing term. Wow. It was someone, let me explain it to you. It was someone that came into your life that would push you. So you think about it like this. You and I are in the same basketball team. I'm the team captain. You don't go to practice one day. And I'm like, huh, I better call her. I go home. Hey, Kim, what's up? Um, where were you today? You weren't sick. You weren't hurt. What's going on? And you're like, I quit. I'm like, what? You're like, I'm terrible. I quit. I'm like, no, 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 Kim, you're coming back tomorrow. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to show you some of my moves that I don't show anybody. And you're like, really? Like, you're cool. We don't hang out, you know, as friends, but I like you. I'm like, yeah, you come back. So I put you right next to me when you're dogging it a little bit and I'll get right in your face. I'm like, come on, Kim, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. And I push you. And you get real tired. I see you got a little smile on your face because you just worked harder than you ever thought you could work in your life. So I'm kind of feeling like you're glad you came back. I pull Mm -hmm. you aside. I show you some of my moves. Now you got a big smile on your face. And for whatever reason, maybe it's just the acceptance that you felt. And practice is over. You're going to the locker room with everybody else. And I'm like, yo, Kim, get back here. And you're like, what? I'm tired. I'm like, get out there. You got 50 more free throws now. And you're like, what? Get out there now. And I make you do it. And then there's another exercise. And over and over and over again, I bully you to help make you a sweetheart. Better. Better. I make you better, right? Okay. Okay. And yes. if you start looking at your life now, Kim, you brought that new instrument home. You thought you were going to be a rock and roll star. Um, whoever is listening to this and you realize how hard it was. And they're like, let's go, young lady. I bought you that thing. Start practicing. 
Or maybe when you were in college and life was really tough, she called you up and said, get your stuff on, get out of bed, I'm coming over, we're going out. Those are your 16th century bullies, Kim. The people in your life that if I took them out of your past, your life wouldn't be what it is today. They changed the trajectory of your life. But Mm -hmm. what they gave you was hope. And hope stands for hold on, possibilities exist. H-O-P-E. Now, we have a generation of young people, Kim, that don't feel like they can hold on. They don't feel like there's possibilities that exist for their future, so they're willing to give up. And I travel with one of the world's hope experts, and he laid on the ground, looked up in the sky, September 1st, 2006, as his body burned away, 70% of it, and he decided to die, to give up on hope. And Luckily, it was for a second or two. He rolled one more time, fell into a canal that he didn't know was there, put the flames out. But then he spent the next however many years, seven, eight years in this real hopeless state. I mean, I don't know if you can imagine losing your ears, your nose, your legs, your hands. Um, yeah. That, But if Rick were on this call with us right now, he would tell you it's the best thing that ever happened to him and he wouldn't change it for anything. And really what saved him were all the people that came into his life. And that's his story to tell. He can tell you about a five-year-old little girl when he was at his lowest that he'll never meet again that gave him that hope when he was struggling. But that's what sweethearts do. They give hope. Heroes take action. Sweethearts give hope to other people that are struggling. And make no mistake about it, Kim, and I'll land on this. The kids today, just in 10 to 14 year olds, suicides, which is possibly the worst of the the destructive decisions since 2007 have tripled. Oh, my gosh. Tripled. So there's never been a generation that has struggled like this generation before, especially when it comes to that feeling of hopelessness that they have on the inside. So. I said I was going to land, but let me just add one more line. My buddy called me. I wrestled with him in college. He was bigger than me, faster than me, stronger than me, older than me. He used to slap me on the face in the weight room, shove me across the wrestling room. Didn't do it to be mean to me. He saw my potential and he pushed me. So when he asked me to do this original presentation, my only plan was to play a couple of minutes of me competing to run out and to say, the only reason, boys and girls, it was like 900 students, the only reason that I could get into that ring was because of your gym teacher, because he bullied me the right way. And Mm. that's the reason I was able to get to become a professional athlete. I wouldn't have been there if he didn't beat the tar out of me in practice and make me better. So... They're very, very special creatures, Kim, but it's a common thread that all of humanity shares. I've never met a human that can look at me and say, nope, I did this all myself. Right. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for answering that. Yeah, I definitely wasn't expecting um, that to be the explanation of where the term sweethearts came from. But I love that. I love how you have hope being tied into it, of course. And and also just to hear a different spin on the word bully and how that factors into all of this. So, okay. So 
where do we go from here? Let's, well, we let's have talk- the, just just so you know, we do have the modern definition. I mean, our job is to create these 16th century bullies yeah. to kind of revive this term, which will yeah. never really happen. That's just what we do. I mean, the word was literally changed about 100 years later after that inception of the word. And really, we found from the research that I did, we found that pimps would bully Johns for their sweethearts or their girls. And that's where we get the modern definition harasser of the week. Wow. And so that's really where we started was in the world of bullying. And, um, you know, it's really morphed. um, And and I spent a tremendous amount of time talking about empathy. It's Mm -hmm. been nearly cut in half in the last 30 years. And over the last couple of years, we have really spent a tremendous amount of time on in this world of social and emotional health, which is really an interesting place because there's a huge divide right now in that SEL space. And a lot of people are feeling like it's this Trojan horse that everything else is being snuck into the school under the umbrella. So I, I, you could talk about empathy. We could talk about um, some of the great work that we do um, in that world of social and emotional health, um, which can be a little controversial for people. Um, I was, I was gonna, I was actually gonna lean towards the empathy uh, direction, but I love that you brought in social emotional learning and health. So yeah. let's let's go there for a moment. Let's how how does that factor into all this? Well, you know, I'm a I'm a traditionalist. Um, I do know, and you know, I, I follow very closely everything that goes on from Castle to um, a lot of different standards throughout the country when it comes to social emotional health. Okay. And um, you know, in 2017 or so, social emotional health took a bit of a different spin into transformative uh, social emotional health. Um, I prescribe, and, and I'm not saying there's not utility and value in that, um, but when we started this, you know, James Comer um, started this in the 1960s, and it was at Yale Medical School, and they took kids from very poor communities. And they said, listen, if we can give them some of these skills that they're not getting at home, things like self-awareness. And I had this, I don't want to say argument because I've done arguing in my life or, or debating. Um, I'm here to help kids and help educators and parents, you know, help kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what's wrong with working on some self-awareness skills with young people. And a lot of people say, that's the parent's job. That's not the school's job. Okay. And a lot of people say, well, I was an educator for 10 years, you know, 10 years ago. I'm like, sister, you should come to school with me then and tell me with the behavior issues that have been happening the last five or six years in this country that we don't need to work on these things all the time everywhere. You know, we used to teach kids manners in schools. But I'm not sure what's wrong with teaching a young person to be aware of when they're pissed off, of when they're angry, of when they're, you know, upset, when they're too excited and they're about to ruin everybody's fun. So I take a very traditional approach to these core competencies when it comes to self-awareness, learning how to manage those feelings, right? Old Fred Rogers used to teach us those things, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, when it comes to responsible decision making, being aware of, you know, the social awareness of other people and how you're interacting with people. Um, and of course, the, the crown jewel, which is relationship skills. And a lot of people say, 
well, that's not the school's job to teach. Okay, well, whose job is it to teach then? Right. Because these teachers are spending more time with your kids than you're going to spend with them probably in your lifetime, which is probably a little over-exaggerated. But kids are in school for seven, eight hours a day. They see their parents for an hour or two. And a parent thinks that, and I'm not cutting on parents. I am a parent. But you think that because you tell your kids a couple things, it's going to really um, make a difference in their life. Um, we got some work to do with you, parents. Um, I just finished a wonderful little book by uh, Judith Rich Harris called The Nurture Assumption. It's Ooh. blown my mind because she says that kids learn things either being taught by their parents, watching their parents model things, or watching other adults or their peers. And there's another guy from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. His name is um, uh, Dr. Russell uh, Barkley. Uh, Bar- I was saying, I keep on thinking Berkeley, but I think it's Barkley. Okay. But he talks about this. And anybody should go watch some of his stuff because he says from zero to seven, is your only chance to influence your kids from eight to about 15. The, you, the influence you have on your kids is like this. Yeah. After the age of, uh, what does he say? After the age of about 15, only about 6% of a parent's influence will actually affect that child. And that's what this, this nurture assumption is about. And people think that they have an impact on their kids, but answer me this question, Kim, an immigrant family moves in next to you. Mm-hmm. They bring a baby, right? How come that baby doesn't have an accent when it grows up? Because of the environment it's in. Because of the environment. And if it yeah. can adapt that, what else is it adapting? She brings up this other yeah. fascinating piece of research that people just ignore. I don't know what time period is, 60s, 70s, 50s, I don't know. But she talks about aristocratic British young men that are carbon copies of their father, the way they stand, the way they articulate themselves, their hand motions. These kids, for the first seven years of their lives, are raised by a nanny. Then they're shipped off to a boarding school. Maybe they spend a couple weeks with their father in their lifetime. Yeah. How do they become carbon copies of their fathers if they never see them? Wow. So the, the, and, but it goes further. Interesting. They go to these schools, right? Mm -hmm. And they say, okay, well, they're being taught it by the other adults. No, they're being taught it by the other children. And those little boys know what they want to look like. They want to look like their fathers. So they act like their fathers and they demand that the other kids in their intergroups also act like this model that they want to become. The kids demand it. So the power that young people have on each other. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk about these human skills and putting them back into the world of education, because let's be frank, Kim, kids don't need teachers to learn content anymore. And that was very wounding to say to um, teachers a couple of years ago, like, oh, because I was t- attacking their significance. They put 20 years into their education. But A kid doesn't need you anymore. They can learn everything they want to right there. But what they need you for, Kim, are these human skills that are just going like this and plummeting in our youth. 
Whew. Okay. Um, I hope that made sense. It did. It all made sense. And there was so much there. Uh, a little, little bit ago when you were talking about, um, oh, see, I, do, I don't even have the frame of reference now, but, but, <laughs> but some of, no, no, no. It was also good. Some of what you said though, just brought back how true, um, what I was kind of saying earlier about how, you know, we've got these adults having to go back and heal their inner child. Yeah. And, um, I feel like you, yeah, you just spoke to that, um, through the whole social, emotional learning, teaching them and now what, Oh, because you were talking about schools aren't teaching this stuff. And it's like, well, then when are they teaching it? Who are they learning it from? You know, and so it's going to be taught at some point. Are they going to pick up on it or not? And why not do it sooner than later? Yeah, um, yeah no. So, okay. Um, let's share. Well, actually, before I get into, I want to share with everyone your book. But before I yeah. get into that, um, I want to ask you, what can educators do more of to become more effective in schools. You started to touch on it, but I want to see what else you might have to add to this. What more can educators do to be more effective teaching from the heart and showing compassion for kids who are struggling? Well, certainly um, the book, and I won't get into it now. I'll, I'll wait. I'll try to keep this answer a little bit shorter uh, so you can jump in. And okay. it, it's tough when somebody gives you 10 talking points and you're like, whoa, I wanted to talk about this one. Now you went to this one and this one. No, no, you're I, doing great. You know, I, I, I believe, you know, Benjamin Bloom, the great educational philosopher, said there were these three domains of learning, the cognitive, where we spend most mm -hmm. of our time, the psychomotor that interacts with the world. But he said in order to connect the head to the hands, you have to go through the heart or the affective domain. And I do a lot of work in New York State. I've probably been in over a thousand schools in New York, and they have this assessment for every educator. It's called APPR. They, they assess their teachers on their effectiveness. Oh. And so when you look at the cover of that book, it looks like someone took a crayon and scribbled out the E. Uh, because to me, that's just a bunch of hooey. Um, people being effective. Because the greatest yeah. educators I've ever met, it's because they teach from the heart. And if you look back at your educational career, whether it was elementary, middle, high school, you remember those teachers that touched yeah. your heart. Yeah. And so I would always tell teachers that's the goal is to learn to be an effective educator. But number two, I tell you the most important thing in my life uh, that I covet more than anything is um, listening to young people. Um, I was never a great listener. Um, I adopted something about seven or eight years ago. Um, I started getting into circle and um, it's probably the most important part of my life outside of my family. Um, Say more I'm, about that. What's circle? Yeah, well, it's um, I, I'm probably at about 500 circles this year right now. Um, I've been in one circle with a group of people for over four years. Okay. Um, and the best way to describe circle is this. And if you want to add a link, I got some circle videos that are very high quality that we've made. Um, I don't mind sharing them with you if you want to learn more. I do circles with real estate people. I do it with restaurant people. I do it in schools every day. But they say that humans, you know, discovered fire about a million and a half years ago. Okay. I don't know if it's true. I read it on the Internet. It must be. But somewhere around 400,000 years ago, people started to sit around that fire, equally sharing the warmth. Nobody was in a position of prominence. And then this incredible thing happened. You're probably going to fall off your chair when I say this, Kim. 
one person would start to talk. Everybody else would lean forward and they would listen. Listen. And we don't do that real well anymore, Kim, as human beings. And circle, if I had to summarize it into one word, it would be, it's about listening. And the craziest thing is that word, listen, if you flash it up on your screen and you move those letters around like a puzzle piece, you'd come up with the word silent. It's the same letters. And I, because of circle, forces you to be silent. My entire life is changed. I would give anything to go back and listen to my own children more. And all I do now is listen to young people. And I was maybe an okay listener with my kids, but I, I'm, I'm embarrassed at my listening skills back then. And I'm a talker. You hear me talking. But man, I like to listen to people. And you said empathy. When you look at empathy, Kim, there's a lot of, a lot of the science that we use in our trainings is around this thing called the intergroup empathy bias. That's where a lot of the science comes from. Okay. And empathy is a three-stage process. And it's a little better if I give you more of an allegory or a, a little example. You buy a new house. You pull up. There's your new neighbor standing on the lawn. You've already, you're like, you're like oh, crap, I forgot my phone. Because the last five times you were like pretending to be on your phone. And uh, you're like, oh, no, sorry, lady. I'm sorry. You're like, you're just not ready for the talk yet, right? Right, right. But you forgot your phone. You're like, oh, I got to bite the bullet. You get out of the car. You're like, hey, I'm Kim. And, uh, but what are you really doing? You're thinking, Trump or Biden? Hmm. Uh, fishing or hunting? Needlepoint or crochet? What you do in every relationship that you have, Kim, everyone, you take perspective. And if you look up the intergroup empathy bias, stage number one is perspective taking. So you meet someone new, you take that perspective. If you jam with them, if they're one of your people, you start hanging with them. Then you move into stage number two, which is called emotional sharing. And most of the time, those are things of joy, happiness, excitement. Oh, my God, I got to tell you a story. Um, but you'll tell other stories about your life as you're hanging out at the barbecue in your backyard. Hey, let's go for a walk. And this emotional sharing happens between the two of you. Now, neurologically, empathy is a group of circuits in the brain and neurons that fire together, wire together. And they get stronger, these pathways. And empathy is like a muscle. If you don't use it, it atrophies. It goes away. It decreases. Um, the, the pairing away of those neurons is just as active sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so, But you share a bunch of emotions with this person, with this group of people. Step number three is what a scientist named Daniel Badson coined this term, empathetic concern, which really isn't empathy. It's the compassion side. And remember, compassion is the sympathetic consciousness of another's distress with the desire to alleviate it. So she pulls into the driveway. You're like, bye, kids. She's home. And you just can't wait to go hang out with her because she's awesome and your kids are driving you crazy. So you run outside. She's getting out of the car. She's got a bag of groceries and a kid. And you see she's been crying. And you're like, oh, are you okay? And you put your hand on her shoulder. You grab the baby. That's empathetic concern. Mm -hmm. You are alleviating her distress. Now, teachers walk around hallways every day in this country, and they say, I don't know why kids just can't be nice to each other. 
They're just not nice to each other. And I'm like, duh, are you kidding me? Like, you don't know why? They haven't taken time to take perspective. Kids are on a screen nine hours a day on Mm. average. Where we used to sit in front of this social engagement system where our brains were wiring as we were talking and communicating with people and those circuits of empathy were growing. So they don't take perspective at the rate that they did just 30 years ago. They don't take time to have emotional sharing. And there's really not a lot of empathetic concern that comes out of that. So when you look at circle and kids are locked into it and you make it super fun, but once you get into circle, especially on a regular basis, there's a ton of perspective taking all the time based on the questions that you use. There's always emotional sharing and that leads into empathetic concern. And we, I'll do one circle with a group of people and they will beg us to come back. We need more of this. We need more of this because they see all those components and it creates this environment where empathy can grow. It's not some weird new age thing. It's something that has been happening for 400,000 years. Do you, I'm wondering, do you go into a school, do your presentations, maybe you do circle there or whatever, but then when you leave, the schools now continue whatever it is you brought in. Like, does that happen? Is there something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a, we have programs where we go back for six weeks or so. We have some schools that run a class of ours. Oh, good. Um, and, And they do it with, we have one school that started with 12 kids. The principal called me about a week ago and said, Tom, this is three or four years later now. He said, we have 80 kids trying to get into this class now. And so we have a, a full curriculum. Um, and 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 that's our biggest problem right now is we're so small. I feel like we're a startup, but we're 15 years now. Wow. Um, we just can't find enough people to work with us to do this work because it's tough. It's a grind. This is not something we're going to, we'll have some digital, we have some digital stuff that's more for teachers, but this is something you got to put your boots on and you got to get on the ground. You got to get face to face with kids, giving a kid a lesson from second step, which I'm not, you know, slamming. Um, There's other great programs out there, but just giving a kid a lesson where they're clicking a bunch of stuff and talking about self-awareness and self-management, like, like, no, that's not how humans have, have evolved for millions of years. And we changed it like, that. Well, yeah, I, I hope that the schools that you go into, that they don't see it as a one and done. Oh, we're going to have this guest speaker and then that's it. We move on to other stuff. I hope they see that um, this is something that needs to be continually practiced and to really shift the entire way that the everyone in the school operates so that things can, you know, so that your time is valuable and makes a difference, not just for that afternoon, but long term. And that's really good to hear that you've been doing it for 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to show everyone your book. So let yeah. me bring that up on screen. So uh, actually, give me a second here. I can take that down. Here we go. So Tom Murphy's book is titled 13 Pillows for Affective Teachers. Yeah. And uh, he's, yeah, he's attributed as a novel by Sweethearts and Heroes. And um do you want to share why you called it the custodian chronicles? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because you look up the definition custodian, it's just a person that um, is responsible to take care of. And I'll give you a, a lesson, a one minute 
I won't make it. Don't read the prologue first. Do not read the epilogue until the end or you'll ruin something for yourself. So I tell people, don't do that because you'll be unhappy. So every page is a true story, Kim. It's just a compilation of the great educators I've met. Um, I won't tell you why it's pillows versus pillars. That's just a quick little lesson. But every one of these pillows um, is really what it means to be an effective educator, which I've already given you a little bit on that. The book is about a young phys ed teacher that loses a young man in the 11th grade uh, to suicide. Uh, In real life, his name was Evan. I was in a wrestling room many times with Evan. Couldn't have picked him out of a lineup. Just one of these invisible kids until he was gone. I mean, I've had dinner with Evan's dad a couple of times, so it's okay to talk about Evan. Um, And uh, this must have been eight or nine years ago. And um, so this young phys ed teacher that just gets into this sport of teaching and he got into it to turn boys into men and men into champions. That's why he got into this great sport of education. And after he loses this young man, he just thinks like, this ain't for me. So he writes his resignation letter, reads it out loud in the prologue one more time early in the morning in the gym. And when he gets done, out of the shadows, steps a custodian modeled after a good friend of mine named Tim McGowan. Oh. And Tim was a count. Tim um, built Wingman Connect for the entire U.S. Air Force. But when, his, when he first started as a counselor, he inherited a district where they had 15 suicides in 30 months. Wow. Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense to the brain. 24 months later, they had one, which he will tell you was too many. And he knows the secret. And if Tim were on this call with you and I today, and you said, Tim, what's the secret of going 15 to one? Mm-hmm. He would tell you one word. It's conversations. Young people need to talk about these things. And if they're not ready to talk, they're always ready to listen. Listen. And so he steps out, of the, has this great little conversation, takes him through these pillows. It's a journey, though, everything he goes through. So it's a really wow. neat book. I took over a thousand teachers through it personally during COVID. Got some great feedback. Uh, it's on Audible and Amazon. Um, I've given away probably 800 copies this year myself. I just give them to teachers when I see them. And uh, I'll mail you a copy if you want one. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'd be happy to receive it and read it. And um, I have here your website. I'm going to go ahead and put your website up on the screen. Yeah. We have sweetheartsandheroes.com. And for all of our audio podcast listeners, uh, Sweethearts and Heroes, Heroes ends with O-E. So S-W-E-E-T-H-E-A-R-T-S-A-N-D-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Sweethearts-and-heroes.com. Um Okay, and and so they can get your book on Amazon. Uh, is there? It's on Audible too. On Audible too. Okay, and what can they access when they go to your website? Uh, <clears throat> well, you can you know go to YouTube if you want to watch me acting like a fool in front of kids and stuff like that. Um, but there are some parents, there's some older parent videos, and we've been shooting video nonstop lately, and we're going to release a whole bunch of stuff next year, next school year. Um, we're already full into December uh, for next year, every day. Um, we'll be at speaking to every administrator in the state of Kentucky next year, which is exciting. We'll be at Camp Pendleton in two weeks talking to some Marines. So, I mean, you can find out some great ways to get a hold of us and some good resources on there. Um, but uh, I have a hundred percent response rate on emails. I, I try and get back to everyone when as soon as I can. Um, but I'm just here to serve. I walked away from a heck of a career where I could have retired early 
from the career I had in the industry and the railroad industry. Um, but uh, just it's a long story. My life is started in Philadelphia. My parents run a mission home, just came right back to me with with people that are struggling. And this is probably what I'll do for the rest of my life. Yeah, Tom, we we kind of we didn't really go get to that answer earlier on, no. did we? I well, I, I wanted I want to acknowledge. So for those who, of course, um, again, are only listening on a podcast platform to us today, um, Tom is this strong guy with a wrestling background. I mean, he's you know he talked you talked about athletics earlier, and I love that you're going in schools talking about. Um, you know, advocating for other people and listening and um, having, I'm going to say an open heart, caring about people because what you're doing today is necessary because we had a whole generation or several generations of people who were brought up without learning the value of conversations and listening, right? There were, there were, there were other values and skills that were taught back then. And now is the time that, uh, you know, so I love that so many more people are talking about the value of connection. Well, how do we connect with other people through listening and talking and conversation? So, and and I won't rant about this, but kids crave it. One of my, my favorite question of all time. And I got it from a ninth grader about six years ago. And it's a beautiful story, but I won't go into the story, but he said, where would you go if you had a time machine? And that sounds kind of goofy. But, you know, if you really think about it as an adult, you'd go fix a couple of stupid mistakes you made. Some you wouldn't. Um, you'd go visit someone you could never see again. You'd go back to the greatest moment of joy in your life. Um, but I have heard from more kids than I can count that say, I'd go back to before technology. And they don't even know what that means. Wow. I mean, I can't count the number of kids that are so exhausted by this. And they and they know it. We're on we're on the precipice of a revolution with young people. I promise you, because I'm in school with them every day. I'll see maybe a hundred plus thousand kids this year, I'll bet. And they're they're exhausted and Uh, they need a break. They need us to support it. But they're the ones that are going to change the world, not you and I. I think it was Alexander Solzhenitsyn that said the world, the universe has as many centers as there are human beings. And every one of those young people is a unique individual that is at the center of the universe that can change the world. And they will if we give them our wisdom and we support them. Uh, I've wondered how kids feel about using technology for everything. And I just figured they must just be used to it. That's how it is. That's fascinating to hear you say that they are tired of it. There's so many, so many. Wow. Like you and I know what it means to be without technology. They don't. Mm -hmm. And it feels so good to detox and and take a break from it as an adult, because we know what that's like. That's, that's wow. Um, so Tom, I love hearing everything you're sharing and I, you know, we've already gone over like the allotted time I set for today's conversation, but yeah. you've, you've delivered so much value and I really appreciate it. Thank you for everything you, you shared. I appreciate you and what you're doing to make the world better yourself because you're the center you, of the universe, Kim too. <laughs> 
Thank you. We, 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 we all are. And this is why we all, you know, I believe are a beautiful light. And the more that we allow ourselves to go in and you know, build these skills and, and self-love and all these things, you get to feel more of your own light. It's a gift for you. And it's a gift for everyone else around you. And again, again, Tom, I'm just going to say thank you for being who you are and how you show up in the world and what you're doing for others to be that role model example. Um, it's it's wonderful example to know that you're going. And so what, are you teaching this to, to Marines? Is that what you're doing next in a couple of weeks? Well, they, they um, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but they, this one oh, unit okay. is get well, this one unit that's getting deployed uh, okay. lost, lost two Marines in the last six months. And, um, and so they just, you know, we're going to go spend some time, going to do some circle with some gritty Marines that don't want to be vulnerable, that are out to get you. Um, and they'll see how a 230 pound man that's been locked into a cage with another man can, um, you know, can understand that, you know, I, I like to tell people all the time, you know, uh, I think it was the great Fred Rogers that said, you know, um, God, I wish I had, had this quote memorized, but he said something to the effect of, uh, um, People have said for years, you know, that uh, I'm uncomfortable when you cry. But what you're really saying is I'm too uncomfortable myself when people right. should be saying, um, I'll be there with you. And the reality is there are times you got to be tough. If your village gets raided, you got to get in there and fight, buddy. It's not a great time to sit down for a good cry. But after that happens and your grandma was a casualty, it's probably a really good thing to let that emotion out. Yeah. If not, you know what you're going to turn into? A monster. Yes. And you're going to take it out on other people. Yep. Because it's been locked in there. And I think it was Ed Ground Post said the scariest monsters are the ones that live deep within our soul. And we put those monsters there most of the time. And uh, if, if as men and women, women are just better at it, knew how to let some of those emotions um, manifest, I guess that's the way to say it, at mm -hmm. the appropriate time, maybe we wouldn't have so much anger and hatred out there. Yeah, it's, uh, thank you for adding all that. So many conversations that I've been having with guests this year, uh, they're just all similar and they're all flowing into each other. So if you are listening to today's conversation and you want more of this, just continue to watch the others because they're all talking about feeling your, I mean, it, it's all about feeling your feelings and, and getting more acclimated with, with being who you are and feeling what shows up because it all serves a purpose. And I'm going to go back to what you're talking about at the beginning about vulnerability perceived as weakness. And yet that's actually wor a word that also um, speaks to your greatest strength yeah. of showing up as who you authentically are. So, Tom, thank you so much for being here today. I'm I'm going to remind everyone where they can go to connect with you. They can go to sweetheartsandheroes.com. And of course, they can also get access to your book on Amazon and of course, Audible. Uh, we'll show that one more time on screen so everyone can see it again. 13 Pillows for Affective <coughs> Teachers. And um, Tom, I'll, I will I will ask, Do you shared so much today. Thank you. Do you have yeah. any final words you'd like to say before we... We say goodbye. Um, I don't know. Maybe uh, let me think of a good one. Um, those who are hardest to love 
are the ones that need it the most. Oh. Socrates said that. So that's I a like great, that one. beautiful, wonderful way to, to close out. Okay, Tom, again, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you, Kim. Absolutely. So I'm just going to go ahead and drop you back down into the lobby while I close out the show, and I'll see you again very soon here. Oh, my goodness. What are you taking away from today's conversation? I want to go back to something Tom shared earlier. I love this acronym, HOPE, HOLD ON, POSSIBILITIES EXIST. This is another theme that's been coming up in a lot of shows this year. HOPE, HOLD ON, possibilities exist. You know, there have been times where I've heard people say like, oh, hope, like you don't, don't hope, right? Like let's move beyond hope. No, 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 no. <laughs> there is always hope. Sometimes that may feel like that's all you have left. And I want to say there is always, always hope. Hold on. Possibilities exist. And the more you allow yourself to feel those emotions, access what's going on, start to open up, break down the walls that were once maybe put in place to protect you for something, and then recognize that, okay, while that have, may have seemed like the strong thing to do initially, maybe you take your strength to the next level and begin to open that back up. Because it's through that opening back up, you get to see those additional possibilities that still exist. Ah. Oh. I absolutely love today's conversation. Thank you again to Tom and, and Rick, the work that they are doing in schools. And I don't believe that it ends with those students. It's for the teachers, the parents, and everyone else that gets to witness it. What a beautiful gift. Let me know what you're taking away from today's conversation, wherever you viewed it, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, any of the podcast platforms, leave us a comment. Let us know. Once again, remember that every day is always a new day. Wherever you are today does not have to be where you are tomorrow. And please always know that you are a beautiful gift to the world. I'm going to go ahead and say goodbye. I'll see you all again very, very soon.